Welcome to the Leading with Data podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of data, strategy, leadership, and results. The show is brought to you by Molecula, and I'm your host, Jason Dorsey. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Leading with Data podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dorsey, and we have a fantastic show today, a true friend of the show, an absolute leader when it comes to data, organization, strategy, culture, and so much more, the one and only Don Reese. And this is going to be a great show because we're going to cover a lot of different aspects of leadership, data, and things you can think about and put into use right now in your own life, in your own career, and in your own business. So for those of you not familiar with Don Reese, let me just give you a quick background about why I am so excited to have him on the show today. Don Reese is the former president and CEO of DriveTime. Now, some of you may not realize how large DriveTime is. DriveTime has over 125 car dealerships. That's a lot of car dealerships. They also uh, own Bridgecrest, which maybe he'll tell us a little bit more about, which services all the auto loans, over 700 thousand active customers in the U.S., over a $9 billion serviced portfolio, which is just absolutely incredible, over $2 billion in auto loan financing annually, and DriveTime has sold over 1.5 million vehicles since it was founded in 2002. Don, although he's no longer the CEO and president of DriveTime, has moved to a new role, which I think is super exciting, which is board member, strategic advisor, and for me and the show, an all-around great friend, somebody who always brings a helpful and welcome perspective. Don Reese, welcome to the Leading with Data podcast. Jason, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for inviting me today. You know, you bring such energy to everything you do. So this is a fun way for me to spend, you know, the next uh, 20 minutes to an hour here. So, and by the way, I'm really honored to be part of your series. I've listened to all of the other podcasts. They've just been phenomenal. And uh, I hope you enjoy this one as much. Well, I know we will, and I know our listeners will too, because we're going to jump right into some fun stuff. So, Don, for those of you who are not familiar with your story, I, I really think you're an unsung hero of the auto industry. Can you share with us how you got into the auto industry and made your way through this career to end up being president and CEO of DriveTime, which is obviously a huge industry leader? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I'll probably have to back up a little bit. I've been in, I've been at this for about 35 years, so... Um, and, you know, much like many in the auto industry back then, uh, this was not a career choice for many. And, uh, but it happened to not be for me either, but I kind of found my way uh, to the industry. I started out in what we call the franchise, the new vehicle franchise portion of the business. So those are the brands that you see out there that sell new vehicles. They also sell used and service and all of the other things. Um, and did that for about 30 years. I was very, very, very fortunate to connect with a great family in South Florida, uh, Al Marooney and Mike Marooney, and, and Mike has been my mentor for many, many years. And we did that privately together as a private company uh, for about 10 years. And, and then we sold to AutoNation in 1997. And AutoNation, many of you know, is the, the largest uh, franchise auto retailer in the United States and was the first one to take auto retail to the public markets versus family-owned businesses, uh, which many of them still are today. Uh, did that for six years on top of that and uh, left to go back into the private sector and joined a couple other families, the, the Leap family for about 15 years, a great family in, in the Midwest, and the Sheehy family in Virginia, 
And then, uh, you know, Auto, uh, DriveTime had reached out to me in uh, 2017. And DriveTime, I don't know how much history, you gave them a little bit of the background about the company, but we're a, a pre-owned only, independent, so non-franchised, independent auto dealer in the states in the size that, uh, that you mentioned just a little bit earlier. But there's really two or three pieces to our business. We're pre-owned auto retail. And we have a subprime, and I don't like the term subprime. I really like to refer to it as emerging credit. And, and subprime has a tendency to have a negative connotation. And it's really people that are challenged with credit. And access to credit in the United States is still very difficult. And, um, you know, I always put it in the category of uh, a lot of times bad things happen to good people. And, uh, you know, they end up in our space. And we, we provide them with a world-class, fully transparent uh, customer experience in a quality vehicle with a lot of assurances and guarantees. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I came into this business for a few reasons. One is the pre-owned market is about three times the size of uh, the new vehicle market. And uh, there's not anyone out there, including some of the larger ones, that do not have greater than 2% market share uh, in the pre-owned space. So uh, I think that was a great next chapter in my life from a business opportunity standpoint. But what I, but the other things that I liked is um, that you know we were serving the underserved portion of the population. You know, there's a stat out there right now that basically the number one barrier to employment used to be education, and today the number one barrier to employment is transportation. And uh, things like student loan debt, which has now surpassed 1.7 trillion in this country, is making it much more difficult to find uh, financing for a vehicle and transportation. So. You know, some of those things attracted me. And then, you know, the youth and exuberance and the culture of drive time, um, which is, I think, really looking into the future, were the motivators for me to, to, to get into this, this sector of the business. Well, and I think you had such a, a, an interesting career trajectory. For those of you who are not familiar with the automotive industry, it's uh, an industry that I happen to work in a lot. It, it's very common to have family-owned businesses. What's uncommon is to go from a family-owned business that's acquired by, in your case, AutoNation, AutoNation being the largest uh, new car dealer in the United States, and then going from that back to other family businesses, and then ultimately over to DriveTime, which specializes in one very specific piece of the automotive market. It's really exciting to see how a career, how your career was able to sort of transition all those different ways through and you continue to adapt. And obviously for those of us in the, that work in the car industry, Mike Marooney is clearly a legend uh, and, and what a great mentor to have. Obviously, for those of you that are familiar with my work, I'm always talking about mentors and having somebody like him as the mentor is incredibly exciting and powerful. So let's shift gears and talk about the actual role of data and decisions and how you think about the way you've approached some of these big decisions because there've been so many you've had to make as you've guided these different companies. So what is the most important decision that you have made using data and how did it work out? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I should probably begin by just giving you just a little more background, a little more understanding about our business. I mentioned that we are an auto retailer in the pre-owned space, a national auto retailer. And at the same, we're a private company. And at the same time, um, we do financing as well. So we have a fully integrated model as the auto retailer and the auto finance company, which gives us, uh, uh, I think, an advantage. And it gives us an opportunity to use data in the best ways possible. Now, uh, we'll talk about data, I know, a little bit more in, in the next few things we're going to discuss. But 
the first thing I think we had to do is simplify our business in a way that everybody can understand it. And so one of the things that we did was as we look at the, you know, one of the number one is, issues in the industry for everyone, whether you're new, used, or pre-owned, affordability is a major issue in auto retail right now. The average transaction price on a new vehicle, for example, is knocking on $40,000 a year. And can you imagine what that's like when the transition going from electrification and autonomous and the things of the future, what the cost of that vehicle is going to be in the future? So affordability is is a, a, a really significant issue. And there's some things going on right now in the supply chain on new vehicles that are actually increasing the cost of pre-owned vehicles. Uh, the supply issues are being very constrained by semiconductor and microchip shortages. You've probably read about a lot of those things that are going on. So back to your question, one of the things that I think really helped us advance here was we did a lot in financing on the credit scoring, and we use a lot of internal data, and we use behavioral scoring, which are developed with our own models internally. But what we added when we when when I first got here, one of the things that we added was adding the vehicle score to the transaction. So in simple terms, we take the credit score of the customer, which is our own scoring system. We've added the vehicle score to come up with a deal or transaction score. So combining those two things really allowed us to put the customer in a vehicle that they could afford. And 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 so the whole goal with this is we want the customer to stay the life and loan as long as they can. And oh, by the way, if they've got some credit challenges, that it's a bit of a credit rehab opportunity to stay in that life alone and move up the up the stack into a uh, higher, better credit tier space. I love that. And I love the idea that you and your team were able to think about a new approach to credit, because obviously that's a space that we've studied extensively as it relates to generations, because you know different generations are having different experiences as it relates to credit, access to credit, credit scores, and everything else to that impacts, right? Access to capital, cost of the capital, et cetera. So one of the things that I'd love to hear, Don, if you don't mind, is what is an unexpected opinion that you have about data or the future of data? I know you're always going to these you know, future of automotive car shows, your future of cars, uh, you're big into the EV space. So this is something that uh, you, you've, you and I've talked about many, many times. So what's an unexpected opinion you have about data or the future of data? Can't wait to hear this one. <laughs> yeah, so th this is, uh, you know, I, this may give you a little chuckle, but I, I probably have to rewind and remind everyone that I've been at this for about 35 years. So I think it's most important to say, where have we come from? And where are we today? And you know, 35 years ago, you know, there was no internet. Uh, we didn't have cloud computing, and a lot of the advancements. And you know, uh, you know, the modern era of data technology and data analytics just didn't exist back then. And it relied heavily on a lot of gut and instinct and grit and entrepreneurial uh, spirit. And so, you know, oftentimes decisions were made, um, you know, anecdotally. And so we have moved from that a while ago. And now it's, it's kind of interesting. I've, I've come to become a student of decision support systems. And so using artificial intelligence and machine learning and, you know, just all types of things, you know, with quantum computing and, and the cloud that has allowed you to do this. And so it's been a very interesting transformation for me personally, and to be kind of move along that spectrum. But, you know, I think, to your question is the unexpected opinion is 
I still have caution to trust the data. And, you know, data for me is, you know, input, output, and analysis. And, you know, I still want to make sure that the accuracy of the input is there. Um, you know, the speed of the output is so fast these days when you're using tools like Snowflake and other things. But then the analysis at the same time as everyone's presenting the analysis which, with which we'll be making business decisions and with which hopefully we're executing on doesn't have any bias. So, you know, I would summarize it that way is that I don't categorize that as skepticism, but it's caution uh, from somebody that's come along that path and, um, you know, how I look and assess and evaluate uh, data in kind of this modern era of data and analytics. I love that. Just the idea that we want to approach data with some healthy skepticism to make sure that we understand what we're looking at, where it came from, uh, you know, as it makes predictions and we apply different models, what does that really mean? So great to have that sort of very frontline tested perspective with us on the show, which leads me now yes. to leadership. All right. So what do you think, I mean, you had a lot of employees at your, at, you know, when you were president CEO of Drive Time, but also at many of these other groups where you've worked. So what do you think is most important when it comes to being an effective leader now? Yeah, you know, that's actually, I think, a very easy one, because I think those are core fundamentals that we've all had. Now, how they're applied, I think, has been different over the years. But for me, it begins with integrity, you know, ethics, and earn the trust of your teams. And, you know, uh, and, and I think I mentioned this to you before, is I, I, I always ask the question in interviews, what do you look for in people? And I call it the three eyes. I look for intense, integrity, intensity, and intelligence. And so that integrity and, you know, intensity in, in leadership and, and you, know, the, you know, the competitive juices out there are things that are important to me. I think you have to be an effective communicator, you know, at all levels. Uh, you know, in our business, I call it, you have to be a communicator from, from boardroom to showroom, right? And, uh, you know, to do that, you have to be an active listener. Um, you have to uh, see what you look for in others. You know, I think there's a couple types of leaders out there. There's ones that I call, um, you know, here I am leaders, and which is not what I am. And uh, then I think there's the here you are leaders, which is it's more about your team. And it's more about uh, what you do and what you look for for others. Um, you know, servant leadership. I think that's the other part of that. That would kind of be a, a, a sub piece of that, uh, the, the, the piece that I just addressed. And, and um, you know, I think attitude. A great leader will bring a negative to a positive. And look at the pandemic year, how things that started out that were very draconian. And I think great leaders took people from that dark space as well as other things that happened and made it a positive. And, um, you know, I think that know and understand your stakeholders, uh, know your customers, know your team, uh, know all your partners and, and trust uh, wrapped around all of that, I think is the biggest piece. So that's, you know, that's kind of my, my core formula of leadership is. Gotcha. I love that. Well, let me sort of think about the future then with you. So what is one prediction you have? As you said, you've been in this business for 35 years. What is one prediction you have about the future of data and business? Love to hear that. 
Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's been very difficult for everyone to look into the future after you've come out of a year where no one had a playbook for what happened in 2020. And uh, but I did give I think it did give everyone uh, a real eye opening to thinking about the future more. And and so the first part, I'm going to respond specifically to auto. I really believe, and this is really data driven, is total mobility and connectivity is going to change dramatically. And it was accelerated dramatically by the pandemic. If you think about it, how we move people and how we move goods are really going to change, I think, dramatically in the future. And that's not just about electrification. That's not about autonomous. It's about all the learning that we have from the connected car. Um, you know, the car, when we talk about the connected car and you see, you know, big tech companies like Apple and others getting involved with it, and you've heard all the Tesla story, but, you know, the connected car, it's really going to be another smart device into the future. It is a bit today, but I think how the car is going to be connected with, connected with consumer behaviors and habits and preferences and all of these things with the consumer, I think it's going to be one of the uh, big changes as it relates to total mobility into the future. So that's the first one. And, and the other one, I think, is, you know, uh, data uh, and data sharing. I think there will be more of an openness to data sharing in the future uh, as, we, as we learn more. And when you think about things environmentally and socially, and the health and human sciences and those types of things that, you know, I do think that data is going to help us deal with homelessness and tracking medical conditions and people. And, and um, so, you know, I think once we have a breakthrough in data sharing, that there's going to be some real uh, benefits to society uh, into the future. I, I agree with that. And I'm really looking for more benefits to society in the future because we definitely Definitely yeah. need that. And uh, that's, that's a very positive thing to think about for the world going forward. Well, let's leave with one last. You know what? Can I, can I, can I have one thing, Jason, just not to interrupt you? I'm sorry. That, Please. That, you know, the other thing, the other thing that I, I think I should add to that is as all this gets tied together, you've probably heard the term omnichannel. And I'm still not sure everybody's thinking about the term omnichannel in the same way. So I think when you think of omnichannel, everybody thinks of it in the technology sense. But I look at omnichannel in the, in the sense of whatever it is that the consumer wants, right? So if I want to communicate with you via text, via email, via chat, via online, you know, via application, whatever it is, and how I want to and transact and when I want to do it and where I want to do it, in my opinion, is that in that category of whatever the consumer wants. And I think as we move into this omnichannel environment, um, that that's the going to be the glue that's going to tie a lot of this stuff together. Love it. Love it. Well, so the last question, unless you want to add anything else, because you know, this is a fun show. So you're welcome to jump in. No, no, no. <laughs> no the, uh, the last uh, question I have is what is your favorite leadership quote? Could be a motto, uh, could be a saying. Uh, and then why is that your favorite? Uh, can I give you two? Yeah, why not? Two sounds great. <laughs> he said this is a fun show, right? <laughs> so, 
you know, my favorite for a long time, and it's funny if you ask most of the people that, uh, you know, that are on our team, uh, if you ask them what my famous favorite quote is, they would probably all be able to guess it. But it's a Maya Angelou quote, and we all know it. It's people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. And I really just think that showing people that you care and what's in your heart and that vulnerability that you have, uh, that's one that's really been important to me. Um, and it has for a long time. And, uh, you know, and I think that's a, you know, it's, it's a bit of how I lead and, and, uh, how I love to engage with people. Uh, the second one really is in, is, is a quote from Herb Brooks, who was the coach of the 1980 U S Olympic hockey team. And, you know, his quote is great moments are born from great opportunities. And that one means a lot as you think back on 2020. Um, you know, everybody's been using this, don't let a great crisis go to waste and all that kind of stuff. I'd really just think that what we learned during that period of time about, you know, uh, how we can come together, how tough we are, how we can overcome. And, and, and some of those moments come from the greatest challenges and the greatest opportunities. I think that's an appropriate one. Um, right now, especially as it applies to what we all went through in the last 13 or 14 months. Yeah, absolutely. And such a great uh, mindset to end the show with. And thank you, Don, for joining us here on Leading with Data Podcast. Just wonderful to have your expertise, your passion for life and leadership. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks, of course, to the amazing team at Molecula for making this possible. And thanks to each and every one of you for being on this journey to unlock the potential of leadership through data. Please check out all the Leading with Data podcast shows on wherever your favorite streaming podcast listening uh, platform is. I look forward to seeing you on the next show. Thanks so much, Don, and we'll see all of you soon. Thank you for joining us on the Leading with Data podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dorsey, and it was so much fun to get to bring this podcast to you. Big thanks to our sponsor, Molecula, for making this possible. For those of you who'd love to learn more about Molecula, definitely worth checking them out. You can visit Molecula.com, and I look forward to you joining us on the next podcast.